Hello, and welcome to the Mission 1711 podcast. Our mission goal is to guide people to trust in the Bible, the Word of God, by learning to search the scriptures for themselves to see if the things they're being taught are true, as it teaches in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 11. So today's message is all about the trap near the cross. That's right, there is a pitfall hidden under the things that we think are blessings. Wait a minute, how is that possible? Well, first, let's start off by reading in the Bible uh, the, the letter of 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. John says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, this is John's perspective on being a disciple. He believes, he's t- telling us, he's teaching us that being a disciple means being a child of God. Now, to understand that, we have to realize that from the biblical worldview, and in John's view, there are only children of God and children of the devil. And we are all born under that curse, being children of the curse of sin, also known as children of the devil, in our natural birth. That's the perspective of God. You see, our race rebelled against God, chose a different allegiance, And God's been working to bring us back to himself ever since. So what we have here in 1 John 3.1 is just this simple claim by John that says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And why is he saying that? Well, that's because, again, it's, it's not how we were born. We are not naturally born children of God. Jesus said we must be born again. And so God is giving us this great opportunity, that he's lavishing this opportunity on us to be called the children of God. Well, there's a trap that's been set near the cross, and we need to understand it's a dangerous trap, and it's very close to the cross. It's a deadly pitfall, which looks very important, but it's actually destructive to knowing the Father, knowing God in heaven. See, it's close enough to the cross to feel important but it's far enough away that we miss the true experience at the cross. And God wants us not to have a false experience. He wants us to understand the real experience that is necessary to be disciples. So what is that trap near the cross? Well, the trap near the cross is called significance. Say, wait a minute, what what is that, huh? You see, some people call it blessings. Other people call it purpose or even family or relationship or, you know, good things are happening, good times are happening. Some even find this significance in ministry, but it's very dangerous. See, the trap of significance goes like this. It says, I will know God loves me if, and then you fill in the blank. What is that if? If I'm prosperous, if I'm famous, if I'm whatever. I will know God loves me if I have a wife or a husband. I will know God loves me if I have a lot of children. I will know God loves me if men praise me. I will know God loves me if. Add whatever you want into that blank. I will know God loves me if. Or another way to look at it is, I know that God does love me because of those things. see, this trap called significance 
uh, looks at the circumstantial things of life, you know, plenty, plenty of food, plenty of house, plenty of car, whatever, plenty of children, plenty of family, plenty of love, plenty of friends, and calls those things blessings. In other words, we measure our relationship with God according to the circumstantial things around us. But is that true? Does that tell us whether or not God loves us? In fact, is it even a decent way to measure success in our own lives? What the scripture shows us is that significance is a trap. These things are not an accurate way for us to measure our relationship with God, or to measure God's love for us, or to measure our apparent significance. These things are actually uh, circumstantial evidence that can produce or provide for us a false sense of security or a false sense of significance in our relationship with God. Well, now, how is that? How is that possible? Well, you see, what happens when that measuring line, that yardstick, changes? What happens when we have an accident, or we have heartbreak, or we have a heart attack, or we have a divorce, or a death? What happens when there are plagues of things that come against us relentlessly in life, and all of a sudden, we no longer have those apparent blessings? What if my life seems more like a curse than a blessing? Does that mean God doesn't love me? Does that mean I'm not significant to God? Are any of those things true? Are they a way to measure our relationship with God and his love for us? And is it fair to try and measure our relationship with God by these circumstances? Well, we want to go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. And it's interesting because, you know, often in the Bible, the, the third chapter and 16th verse all seem to have a common thread. And in 1 John, it says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Note how he's, he's absolutely emphatic. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. You see, Jesus thought we were significant enough for him to die for us. Now, folks, none of us has any clue what that really meant for Jesus. And I'm not just talking about none of us has ever been crucified or seen a crucifixion. I mean that Jesus' crucifixion was far deeper, far more impactful on his soul than just the physical injuries he experienced in his death. And those, by the way, were enough to rock anybody who had seen it. If you look at the uh, the response in the, the four Gospels of the disciples and the women that were with them, they were shattered by what they saw happen to Jesus. And they didn't even begin to comprehend what was happening at a soul and spirit level. That was just at the physical level. So we need to understand that everything we need to know about the love of God is shown to us in what happened to Jesus on the cross. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it tells us that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. 
Well, why was the Holy Spirit given to us? He was given to us because of our faith in Jesus. The Bible says very clearly that when we are born again, we receive the Holy Spirit. Born again in what? Born again by faith in Jesus Christ. So Romans 5 is telling us that God's love is poured out to us through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. Now in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 9, it says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. This is Jesus speaking. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Now, the Bible depicts a lot of things for us that are really plain and clear, but some of them are a little bit hidden. And you have to really dig deep into the Old Testament as well as the New Testament to figure out what Jesus is talking about here. You see, God had such a perfect love for the Son of God. The Father had such perfect love for the Son that it's the topic of every book in the Bible. You just don't necessarily recognize it until you see the patterns and the prophecies and typologies that are there. And then it begins to emerge. But you see this in the Psalms, you see it in the prophets, and then in the New Testament, it's spoken of and demonstrated to us very clearly. So when John says this in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, he reminds us something then. He says, now remain in my love. What, what does he mean by that? He means that we can demonstrate to ourselves everything we need to know to stay faithful in him by understanding his love. And then John, or Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that is to lay down one's life for his friends. And we think of patriotic love when we think of, uh, you know, soldiers, sailors, Marines, airmen who go out and, and uh, sacrifice themselves for their country, for their family, for the beliefs they have. But when Jesus is speaking here, He's talking very personally about this. He's saying that he has laid down his life for his friends. So the question is, are you his friend? Let's go back for just a moment and see what John the Apostle is telling us in 1 John. Again, he's saying, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. You see, he sent his son, his only son, his only begotten son, to come into this world, to become a man, so that he could take the judgment of mankind on himself, suffer for us, die for us, be buried, and then raise again on the third day. He did that for us, and it's through that sacrifice, through that uh, propitiation is one of the words that the Bible uses, but through that propitiation that we have access to the salvation that he is earnestly wanting to give us, this great love that the Father has lavished on us so that we can be called the children of God. Now, if we attempt to measure God's love by anything less than the redemption that Christ purchased at the cross, we delude ourselves into measuring God's love by temporal things. 
But folks, God's love is not measured by anything temporal. It is measured by the eternal sacrifice of the eternal Son of God who came, who died for us, and who rose again to demonstrate to us God's loving power for us. Well, what about Christians who seem to have no blessings, but they have steadfast faith in Jesus? Are they blessed? Because see, there's a lot of people out there saying that if life isn't going right for you, you're not blessed. My friends, that is not true. You're blessed if you're trusting in Jesus and accepting what he has done for you as personal for yourself. When you receive that, you pray to him, you seek him as your savior, and you believe his gospel, he is giving you the opportunity to be called children of God. That's what John is telling us. Now, let's think about this. People who have no blessings, no temporal things working out going their way. In Revelation chapter 2, it tells us Jesus is speaking here. This is Jesus talking prophetically to the church through John the Apostle. And he, he says to John, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, your tribulation, and your poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews but are not are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now, it's interesting because this is the passage in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, where there are seven letters to seven different churches that are speaking of, you know, Jesus giving a report card, as, as it were, to tell them how they're doing. You know, and, and each one either has a, a commendation or a correction. Uh, each one has a promise. And uh, each one of them is is addressed about things that are happening very personally, very specifically to that church. And then Jesus uses this phrase that says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, meaning all the churches. In fact, at the end of the section there, he specifically says these letters are for all the churches. And so what he's pointing out is, is that this isn't just all the churches of that time, but all the churches of all time. He wants us to learn from these letters. Now, note that Jesus has nothing negative to say to these believers. He says they're rich and that others lie about them. What lies? Well, others say they're poor and say that they're in tribulation because they're unworthy, and they say that their works are not pleasing to God. But that's not what Jesus says. He says they need have no fear. They merely have to remain faithful unto death. Because Jesus has prepared a special crown for them, a crown of life. Well, wait a minute. What have they done before God to, to have this promise to them? Folks, they've remained faithful. That's the point. They've not done anything except remain faithful. There's, there's nothing noteworthy about this group of Christians except that they've been faithful. And Jesus is promising them a special crown, a crown of life 
that they, though they will see death, they will not be hurt by the second death. This is very important. This is significance from God's perspective. Let's go back and remember what that quote says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Wow. We can know the love of God because Jesus laid his life down for us. And so therefore, because we can know the love of God, we also can have the courage to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, that doesn't mean anything about, you know, uh, having houses or cars or wealth or family or, you know, any of those things. Doesn't mean you're eating well. In fact, a lot of the times the people who have suffered through these things, especially over the centuries, have not had any of those blessings. They've had suffering. So let's look at John chapter 16, verse 33. This is Jesus speaking. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So friends, we can see that life isn't always going to work our way. Some of us have life that's filled with tribulation. And Jesus is telling us that's normal. And that in him we can have peace. If we're not seeking worldly, temporary significance, that temporal significance, you see, that's a trap. It makes us believe that stuff and, and temporary circumstances are blessings from God. And they might well be, but they might also not be. What is the blessing is that we can know that he is giving us peace because he has overcome the world. And when we trust in him, when we walk by faith, following Jesus, we can be of good cheer even in the midst of tribulations because he has overcome the world. Now, Paul the Apostle wrote to his disciple Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He says, all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Now, this is Paul. He has a lot of experience. He's, he says he's known what it means to, to have plenty and to have nothing. He's known what it's like to, to be popular and also to be persecuted. And he warns us. He says, all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Folks, this is the normal circumstances of disciples. We are called to yearn to live godly in Christ and we're to expect that that will result in persecution. And we're to accept that with good cheer. We're to accept that as part of the normal fact of walking in this world as a follower of Jesus. So again, the trap near the cross is called significance. It seems close to Jesus. It seems important. But we have to be wary, very wary of imagining that we are significant, valued, or loved when things are going well. Sometimes that's a trap leading you away from the true blessings of God's rewards. Wait a minute. Uh, Ian, are you sure about that? Yes, I'm quite sure about that. Jesus even said it right here. He said, woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. 
Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. You see, what you think is a blessing may well be a curse. Now, of course, Jesus is speaking in a specific context here. He's speaking to disciples who are mostly the poor people in the world where he was at at the time. And they were dealing with a lot of powerful people, a lot of rich people who were full, who left, who spoke well of other men. But Jesus is saying, ah, don't get used to that because you're going to hunger. You're going to mourn and weep. And you're going to realize one day that your fathers spoke well of the false prophets, and that will not go well at Judgment Day. We want to remember it's not the temporal things. It's not the circumstantial things that matter. It's the promises of God that matter. Now, here at Mission 1711, we work hard to help people understand how do you access the promises of God, and what are the promises of God? We work hard to guide people to learn how to walk from beginning your faith through to possessing all of the promises that God has for you. And this is how our, our program goes. We, we work to lead people that direction as, as persistently as we can, because we want to understand that not everything is about the temporal stuff, the money, the power, the wealth, the, the houses, the families. It's, it's, those, those things are they're good. There's nothing wrong with them, but they're not the goal. Well, what is the goal? Friends, the goal is to understand that we have been given the opportunity to be called children of God. This is a special privilege. Very few people throughout history have been given this, this privilege. Most people have ignored this opportunity, but we want to understand the great love that the Father has lavished on us is that we should be called the children of God. That's the blessing. That's the significance. That's what really matters. And when we learn to find that, nothing can rock you. Nothing can, can shake your faith when you truly understand what God is doing. Well, this concludes our message on the trap near the cross. Well, folks, why are we Mission 1711? We're inspired by the scripture of uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 11, where it says that the Bereans were more noble than the people in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily to check out if Paul the Apostle was correct, to see if his message really did come from the ancient Old Testament prophets. And our brand and our purpose is all about inspiring people to search these things out, to be more careful, and to understand thoroughly the epic story of Jesus, to verify that this truly is of God. See, we believe that God wants us to walk by faith, but he never expects us to have a blind faith. In fact, God commends us for testing and verifying what is true by the Holy Scriptures, the Christian Bible. And that job is not just the job of professional pastors, priests, apostles, or theologians. It's the job of the regular believer, the regular people who hear the message. You see, we are all accountable before God, and we will have an interview with him about what we've done with the truths that we've heard. 
The goal of Mission 1711 is to bring a fresh perspective with the voice of the common believer, rather than professional clergy, into the discussion about faith in Jesus. In other words, we're here to spread. Uh, we're here to speak to folks with a perspective that isn't clouded by sectarian dogma, churchy language, earthly territorialism, or institutional biases. We represent nothing but the great news of Jesus. We're not here to be against anything. We're here because we're for Jesus. And we hope that you will find the way of Jesus and walk in it. If our message encourages you, if it helps you in your walk with Jesus, then please like, share, and consider joining our Patreon community. We have a lot more coming out soon, and our special content and early access will be uh, accessible to, to the folks on the Patreon community first, before it goes out to the general public. So this is empowering every believer to get the message out faithfully in the Word today, but it also helps us to have the things that we need in order to get the message out for you. So we pray that this message has blessed you and that you'll continue to follow along with us. If you have questions or comments, please go to our website at mission1711.com, and you can look at our other messages there, and you can uh, send us comments as well that uh, we often answer, and um, we would love to hear from you. Thank you.